Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. The fans have won already. What a spectacular week of competition we have seen. On this show, it's Matt Smith, Tony Schumacher, and Tony Pedragon talking about championships in the Dodge Finals. And there is not a happier human being on planet Earth than the woman in that pro stock car. It's all coming down to the wire at the end of the NHRA season. Goodbye, Snake, and hello, Ace! This is the NHRA Insider. And the wildest day in the history of this category is finally complete. Hey everybody, Brian Loans here, your old pal, back with another edition of the NHRA Insider Podcast, and this is going to be a big one. Got three great guests on this show, Matt Smith, Tony Schumacher, and Tony Pedragon. Of course, Matt Smith, leading the Pro Stock Motorcycle Points, has had a wild couple of weeks and has been able to actually extend his points lead, despite the fact things really haven't been going his way. Then we got Tony Schumacher, who scored an incredible victory over Steve Torrance in the final at Houston last weekend, uh, just a a dive-bombing 366, just a full-on old-school slugfest of a top-fuel final that was amazing and uh, really put a capper on what was an amazing race weekend in Baytown, Texas at Houston Raceway Park. And Tony Pedregon is going to be on as we talk and look at our championship roundup for the 2020 season. It's all coming down to the wire in Vegas. And I want to talk to him about who he feels as though is going to carry the momentum especially when we get to categories like Pro Stock Eliminator and like Nitro Funny Car. I feel as though Pro Stock Motorcycle, and I know Matt will disagree with me because of the fact he is the guy looking over his shoulder a little bit here. I feel like he has very good uh, control on that category. I feel as though Steve Torrance has very good control on Top Fuel. And while anything can happen, and sometimes does happen in NHRA drag racing, there are some things that do seem to be in hand for potential champions. We had a great weekend, as I mentioned, in Houston. We saw Doug Gordon crowned the Alcohol Funny Car World Champion for 2020, uh, something that has been decades in the making for his family, who has competed uh, stalwartly in that category for so many years. Great, great family. His daughters performed the service on the race car between rounds. Um, It really is a family effort, and it was highly emotional to see them win. Um... Nothing's ever come easy for them. They've worked very hard for everything they have, and they've had uh, number two finishes many, many times in the national points. But to finally break through and win a world championship was a huge thing for the Gordon family and a huge thing for fans of the top alcohol funny car category. And boy, has it been a fun year. Uh, They're going to be racing in Vegas just to run the season out. They live in California. They were going that way anyway. So they're going to kind of be able to make a victory lap of sorts in Vegas um, and celebrate their championship. Uh, the Houston weekend was notable for several reasons. Bobby Bodie made his debut and drove the car very well. Um, we look at some of the other performances of note. Obviously, the Torrance Capco team was uh, amazing again. Steve made six runs in a row under 3.7 seconds, never left the 360s. Two qualifying runs, four runs in eliminations, all in the 60s. And that's why I'm really interested to talk to Tony Schumacher because obviously he knew Mike Green knew, the entire crew knew where they were going to have to run that car in order to have a fighting chance to win. And not only did they attempt to do it, they did do it, and Tony did a great job driving. It should be noted, Steve was 034 on the tree in that final round and um, kept the margins even snugger than it would have been. Tony was a blistering 050 on the tree, so both, uh, both drivers were way up on the wheel for that competition. And The crowd reaction and the reaction around the sport of Tony Schumacher picking up his 85th Wally has been cool, and I certainly want to hear about it from him, and that's why we're going to talk to him in a few minutes. Uh, When we look across the other classes and categories, Aaron Stanfield 
winning the factory stock showdown class winning the factory stock showdown world championship and winning his first pro stock race put together something that the sport has not seen in nearly 30 years 28 years ago pat austin uh doubled up in a sportsman in pro category back at the famed 1992 phoenix event and um it's not something that we've talked about or seen before we have seen racers win multiple sportsman categories, but we've not seen a pro sportsman double in some time at the same event, which is uh, always really cool. Pro Stock Eliminator, as mentioned, is pretty tight. Jason Lyon, a first-round loss, really hurt his chances. Eric Enders goes in with about a round-and-a-half lead. Got to remember, Vegas is going to be points-and-a-half, so... These points leads, when we talk about them over the course of this show, you have to remember that points and a half is uh, in effect when we go to Las Vegas. So some of these gulfs are not as wide as they may seem on their face. Nitro Funny Car really is the, the class to watch in my estimation. You have Matt Hagen leading. Now Tommy Johnson Jr. in second, Jack Beckman in third, and Ron Caps a more distant fourth. But as we're going to talk with Tony Pedregon in a while, he and I are both of the mindset that they did that on purpose last weekend, and it sounds insane, like you would qualify 16th on purpose. And the answer is yes, when you know that you have nothing to lose, when you know that the worst-case scenario is that you're going to be lined up next to the best car on the property to that point, and the best car on the property is likely going to be your teammate and is likely going to be one of the racers that you have to catch to win a championship, why wouldn't you try to take your shot? And... You know, knowing Ron Caps as I do and, and having followed his career for as long as I have, knowing Ron Tolber as I do, um, the reaction of being a number 16 qualifier was not what you would have expected out of those guys. Normally, we see Ron uh, become fairly introspective and, and almost uh, kind of pump himself up on a sev- several elements when the car doesn't qualify that well. But in this case, he was kind of like happy-go-lucky. He was like, hey, man, we're in the show. We're going to do what we can do. And it was a very loose approach that worked. Uh, they beat Jack Beckman in the first round and and threw a giant monkey wrench in everybody's plans for Funny Car and helped their own cause out by making it to the final. Matt Hagen going out in the semifinals to Tommy Johnson Jr., big moment. And so TJ moves into number two, and um, it's going to be really neat to watch those four cars battle it out, three primarily, and the fourth being Ron Caps, who it ain't over yet. There are 183 points to gain at the moment. That's all that's left on the table right now. Before we turn a wheel in Vegas, 183 total points available to all of our professional categories. Uh, That includes the qualifying points. That includes your elimination round points. As we go through that Sunday, this coming Sunday in Las Vegas, that window will narrow and eventually close for all but the last two cars, and eventually we will crown champions in the afternoon. It will be a highly restricted crowd this weekend in Las Vegas. If you are coming to the race, uh, I believe it's 10 to 15% capacity being monitored. It will be the first mass gathering held in Nevada since the COVID-19 pandemic outbreak. So the state will be there, in effect, uh, to monitor things. Uh, it will not be a, a situation where things, uh, face coverings and such are not mandatory. It is going to be a very uh, highly regulated environment there. Just know that going in. Distancing will be enforced, facial coverings enforced, of course, the temperature taking, and we are trying to set an example for everyone who wants to have large events in Las Vegas again. Uh, we're going to be the first one into that uh, into that program. Remember, when NASCAR raced there not too long ago, they were not allowed to have fans. So our fans, uh, well limited, will be in the stands and will be able to see some amazing stuff. You should also watch, of course, on FS1 because that is going to be the big show 
the Dodge NHRA Finals this weekend in Vegas. It is going to be one for the history books and, you know, the conversations about, you know, is this a legitimate championship and is this something that people should have an asterisk next to their name on because of the fact that it was 11 races? And the answer is no. Uh, the answer is that is, a, a, that is a, a crummy way to look at it and think about it. And I know for myself, for the other people involved in the sport, it feels like the finals. Um, it doesn't feel as though we're just stopping at a certain indeterminate point and that's going to be it. This does feel like a final race. This does feel like the end of a season. This does feel like the end of a of a grind, even though it is certainly on paper not near the grind that it normally is with the 24 races and the three to four weeks back to back. This has all the hallmarks of of everyone's being spent and looking around going, okay, we can do this one more time and then park the stuff. And obviously our off season is going to be long. We'll talk about that after we get done with the season itself. But um, for those of you wondering, does it feel like the finals? Absolutely. It does. Not sure if it does from your couch. I hope it does, but I can tell you from my position where I work from the racers position and, and having conversations with them, this one feels like the end of a full season, even though it was basically half a season. So there's my take and getting our show started here. I appreciate everybody tuning in as always to the Insider Podcast, a three episode or rather a three guest episode. Always rare, but usually only for the big time moments. We're going to kick things off with our first guest on the show. His name is Tony Bedragon. He is my right hand man on the FS1 and Fox Broadcast Network NHRA coverage. And we're going to be hearing a lot of from each other and about each other in the off season. But before we get to the off season, we got to finish the regular season. Hey, Tony, how you doing? Good. Good morning, Brian. No time to recover, right? You think we got it bad? What do you think these racers feel like? I know, man. Especially, uh, especially a couple of these guys that uh, that are coming into kind of down to the wire situation. I'm sure, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about Hagen. I'm thinking about TJ, and and not so much Steve Torrance because he's out a hundred plus. But the funny car thing is going to be crazy in Vegas. Yeah, pretty amazing that you know you go back a few races ago, and and Caps was in a position where he had to win. He won. Hasn't been able to you know to really do a lot since then but tommy tommy's done it a couple of times and you know it's it's interesting because we really weren't talking much tommy it was all hagan and beckman and that matchup and you know of course caps and some of the drama there and you know we started talking about it right before the final round <laughs> right and <laughs> so there he was we'll, we'll be talking we'll be talking about him till until uh, then till sunday morning yeah and it's it's to me uh we look at that team and like you said like they they went on they ran well and then they stumbled a little bit for like two races they had uh, the first round loss at the u.s nationals i think was a big one um and then they were like second round after that but all of a sudden they have certainly come back in winning st louis running well in the middle of that and then and then winning down in houston uh one of the things we talked about which i i'm i still agree with our opinion that Tobler and Caps put themselves where they were on Sunday morning on purpose. At this point, when you look back at it, I think it was totally done on purpose. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, you know, I, I while Caps was trying to explain it, you know, he had that little little bit of a smirk. And, you know, if if ever a time to do it, and even if it was an accident, it, it sure did play out to their favor. And, and I don't disagree with you. You know, I, I think some thought has to go into that. And, and it's really tricky. I mean, you can you can try, and then if you end up, you know, 15th or 14th, well, you know, then then maybe you're kicking yourself. But, you know, just, just to go I'll get off the subject of Funny Car real quick, if ever a time that a team should really give that some serious thought, wouldn't it be Doug Coletta? Wouldn't it be that team coming into 
into the last race of the year because you look at that you talked about the point spread 101 points that's the only chance they may have oh absolutely you know, so, yes absolutely so what what why not make some runs? I mean, I'm sure you don't want to, you don't want to shake the tires. You don't want to, you know, smoke the tires at 300 feet, but you know, you can, you can set the car up and you can instruct the driver to shut it off at, you know, at 600 feet in the first, first session. And then, and then reevaluate, see where you end up. I, I just think whether caps and them just <clears throat> had that discussion, it, it just, it worked out to a T for them. They just, they just didn't get any help from from Hagen or um, from Tommy. Yeah, neither of those guys uh, slipped on an early enough banana peel. But yeah, to your point in Top Fuel, if if you want to try to have any sort of control in your destiny there, and other than just hoping he loses in terms of the Coletta team, why not? Why not try to manipulate your spot on the ladder and, and get there? We saw we saw Greg Anderson try it last year, most famously at Pomona, and nearly pulled it off. Um, it wouldn't make it wouldn't surprise me at all, especially if it was Langdon's car. You know, Langdon's car could be used in that in that respect. If you wanted to keep Doug in a in a position at the top of the ladder, and you wanted to, or at top of the qualifying sheet, and you wanted to use Sean as that potential kind of uh, bounty hunter out there, that could be a that could be a thing too. Yeah, and I think I think strategy should be such an important discussion for the Coletta team for that reason. I mean, if you <clears throat> excuse me, you look at how the ladder wound up this past weekend. I mean, it was, it was perfect. It was the near perfect scenario. It was Langdon in the second round and Doug in the semifinals didn't, you know, didn't really get to that point, but yeah. you know, wh why wouldn't you have that discussion and say, look, these are the positions that we want. And if it ends up being Doug in the middle of the field and getting Steve in the second round, that would be, it's 30 points around. Yeah. He's you almost a have to have yeah, he needs three of them basically he needs three of them in qualifying points you know he it's 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 a super long shot but to your point if you might as well give yourself a fighting chance to beat him with your own two hands yeah and you i don't think i don't know if you're going to get i mean realistically i don't know if you're going to get qualifying points so why not go in, in there strategizing look we got to end up 16 you know you can almost count on 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 you know, Steve getting the pole or, or second, yep. but you know, you have that wiggle room going into that last session. If you're in the 16th or 15th spot and um, I, you know, this is, we talked about Greg doing it at the finals last year. I mean, this is the equivalent of the onside kick. Yeah. I mean, it's your only chance. <laughs> it really it's the is. only chance that you're going to have. So why not do it? Sometimes it works. So if we uh, just to, to go back to funny car real quick, if you're looking at those four cars coming in, Hagen, Beckman, uh, TJ, and Caps, you know Caps is obviously the outlier here because he has the biggest margin to try to make up. But of the of the top three, um, Hagen is in the in the position of power right now. Uh, I would say TJ comes in with the most momentum, and and Beckman is probably having to recover from that first round loss. Which one of those three do you pin the championship on Sunday afternoon? Wow, that's a that's a tough one, but I, I I'm almost gonna give it I'm almost gonna give it to the guy with the momentum, and and that's I mean that's Tommy. I, I mean of course Hagen's Hagen's in the driver's seat. You know it's really his championship to lose, but you're only talking two rounds. Yes, you know you're talking two rounds, so I'm sure that you know they're all going to be shooting for that top spot, and you know and and just to just to expand a little bit more on. You know the Beckman and Caps matchup because you had Caps in the first round. It's like you know if you wonder, well, why would they smoke the tires? They would not 
likely have smoked the tires and lost traction against anyone else. Correct. But when you have a caps in the first round, you know, they probably went into thinking, well, we're going to have to run like we did in qualifying. And I don't know if the track was as good. Maybe they had, you know, a little more clutch wear, not enough clutch wear. There's all, a lot of things that can play into why a car loses traction. But I think the biggest component was, was their opponent. It was the guy in the other lane. Um, but, it, you know, it's very doable for Tommy or Beckman because it's not out of the question that Hagen run into a tough car in the second round or the semifinals. If he gets to the semifinals, Tommy or Beckman, they need only win the race. Yeah, I think, you know, so yeah. right? the, the most interesting dynamic to me among those three cars is that you know in your mind all three of those guys feel like it's their title. And I think that's the most interesting part. There's no, not one of those three cars is is lucky to be where they're at. Not one of those three cars thinks that they aren't incapable of doing it. And so I think that makes it a really, that makes it a really interesting thing on Sunday when, you know, it isn't one guy going, oh geez, you know, hopefully I just get lucky and win a couple rounds. No, all three of those guys are going to roll in Sunday morning thinking that it's theirs and someone's going to have to take it away from them. Yeah, and the worst part for Hagen. It's not just one guy. Yeah, you've got two guys <laughs> yeah. that are with within striking range, and and just go back, go back to that first round. Hagen was beat dead to rights. Oh God, you know he yeah. was done, and and you know because of his ability, you know he was able to save. He, I I used to tell Dickie this. Dickie used to hate it. He, the driver fixes the tune-up sometimes, and and that, but that's all it took. So we're gonna we're gonna see a lot of that. But that's it's still a, a very tough scenario for Matt because, you know, it's not like, you know, they can't really hit or miss because if they do, you, you've got two guys that are very capable, just as capable as Matt. And I think, you know, it all comes down to timing, but, you know, I think, I think the driver, you know, the driver experience and the, the ability, uh, there might be some, you know, some tire smoking scenarios and, you know, that, that thing we talk about the most on the starting line. And, you know, the interesting thing is all three of these guys are pretty evenly matched. So it's going to come down to who wakes up that morning and who's got the best juices flowing. When we look at the pro stock category, uh, obviously Eric is coming in with a points lead uh, over Jason line and, and Jaggy being the kind of outside shot here. It has not been a great couple of weeks for Erica, and I know that uh, you know she rebounds pretty quickly from stuff like that, typically. But man, this one last weekend was just weird. That 006 reaction time on the red side was typically not what we see happen to her, and she definitely didn't do what she wanted to do in terms of trying to stack points online. Who went out in the first round? Yeah, you know, and there's there's another there's another scenario just like Funny Car that we talked about because it's right now it's 55 points, so that you're talking less than three rounds. So, you know, Jag and of course Jason, they're going to have to qualify, and of course they usually do qualify up up near the top, but they cannot allow Erica to gain those you know another five or six points so that she turns that two rounds into three rounds. You know, then then it's going to be a little little more or a lot more out of reach. But you know, there again, I I don't I don't know that Erica is going to be affected by it. You know, she's just been in this situation too many times. When doesn't she rise to the occasion? You know, and that's another another scenario that it's really it's theirs to lose. But you've got you've got two you know two good cars, two good drivers that are chasing it. It's not one. And if you know if if Erica, you know, blinks, 
she bats an eye you know your problems are compounded just by having two guys that are within the same range and you know i i think you know countdown or no countdown we still have the same end result and and we've got you know we're we're, we're having this conversation about multiple drivers that are you know it's going to going to come down to the last race there's no better scenario than that yeah and you know you get two drivers that are retiring at the end of the after this race effectively so those two guys are, are showing up with literally kind of uh you know and in some ways the pressure's off you know this is your last race you're going to want to show up and enjoy it and um as we talked about last weekend when when people race and they race like they're having fun uh typically that's when the good stuff happens and you know for erica vegas is probably the best place this season could end for her because of the fact she's had a load of success at this track over the years both in pro stock and in um uh, big money bracket racing she won a big money bracket race in vegas years back as well so it will be very fun to watch that Matt Smith's going to be one of the guests on the show. Uh, Matt Smith is ex- keeps extending his points lead and losing races. So he's <laughs> I don't know how uh, I don't know how this and I'm going to ask about that. I don't know how this is working for him, but he's having weird race weekends and, and gaining points on the competition. Well, Vegas is going to be the place for this guy. In fact, we you and I may want to think about hanging out with him <laughs> in Vegas because how that happens is sheer luck and you know you got to look back on last year and you know maybe maybe it all just just maybe it comes around yeah you know it all maybe it does all even out because um you know i I don't know if i'd call him lucky because he's just invested so much time and so much work and effort and there's such a big rivalry with with matt smith and his team and the harley team and now the roles are reversed you know now you know now matt smith he's the one that's being hunted so I, I I suppose if there's you know with the exception of Steve Torrance, if if there's a a heavy favorite, it's going to be Matt Smith. Not because he has the lead that he has, but um, I, I don't know if he can have you know any any worse luck than he's had the last couple of races, and um, he just has a performance. And you know it's not just a couple of hundreds. He just he seems to be able to you know have his way with the field right now. And you know it's it's not a bad feeling when you're your closest competition you know is is right there under your tent yeah it's been fun to watch and i know for him um i think he's he's just itching to itching to get the bike to the racetrack and he's also a guy that's performed very well in vegas over the years so i guess the last thing i'll bring up is um you know you and i this morning shared some texts back and forth the weather is going to be i mean the weather is going to be as good as you can possibly ask for at this place yeah off the charts you don't want to be in las vegas in the middle of summer but I, I couldn't believe like my eyes lit up. It's like, wow, it's going to be, it's going to be near perfect weather not a cloud in sight. But you know what the racers are going to have to deal with is the elevation. You know, they're, they're all geared up to, you know, to put more air in the motor. They can do that with some pulleys, uh, put thinner gaskets, you know, however, however their approach is. Um, they're pretty familiar with, you know, with Vegas and, and they've got a go-to setup and a go-to tune-up but they don't have the luxury of having the four runs. You know, they're only going to have two to, to make it work. And I, I just, I see the same pattern that we've seen over the last, um, well, over the last race of uh, the races since, since Phoenix, you know, with, with two qualifying runs, I don't know that you can get where you really want to be in two runs. So we're going to see a lot of those big first round matchups. And, and I'm guarantee you, and at least two out of the four classes, we're going to see some of these some of these uh, points scenarios shake out early, Brian. That's why I sent you the the video this morning. Um, <laughs> but but what reminded me is like no lead is safe. 
You know, we saw it. We just saw it last night. If you watch the football game, this guy named Buda Baker, you know, he picked, he, he made a pick. He was running. It was a guaranteed touchdown. And here comes some guy named DK Metcalf. Oh man. Some what a guy beast. That's a, yeah. a lot bigger. And, and I, I don't know what he runs in the 40, but, but they tracked him like at 23 miles an hour <laughs> before this guy can make it. So none of these racers are really safe. And, and uh, you know, Steve Torrance knows it. He knows all the scenarios. He's probably in the best position of any of the pro racers. But, you know, it, it just I think it's going to be something to tune in on uh, during qualifying to see if if the Coletta team has the guts to do it. And, um, you know, and if they do, it's they've got to be pretty tactical if if they uh, map it out or they can just go talk to ron tobler and ron caps cool man well hey good conversation uh looking forward to seeing you in just a couple of days and you know one of the things i said in the monologue and i guess i'll just leave you i'll leave you with this one last question is uh, you know it was when we started going in july it was always like well you know it's only going to be 11 races and this and this and that and what I said in the monologue is, to me, this really does feel like the finals. You know, this this doesn't feel like we're just stopping it too soon or stopping at the wrong time. It feels like this is actually the end of whatever this season is. It is the end of the season. And I, I definitely, at this point, do not think there's any sort of asterisk necessary for anybody who won a title this year because of the fact of what we're talking about. These things are all coming down to the wire. There's not a single runaway in the group. Uh, Torrance is probably the closest we could say to that, and even he's not completely out of the woods yet in terms of, of trying to, to get it locked up. So, you know, as as short as the season is compared to a normal one, I feel like this one never lacked for intensity, and the champions have earned uh, have earned everything that they've gotten. No, I agree with you. If they're going to put an asterisk, if if any of those, you know, the competition that really didn't didn't get to where they wanted to, if they're going to complain about a shortened season, season that that asterisk should be that it was more difficult to win a championship under these circumstances than than any other one in the past. Because and and racers should know this. You know, we you have to think on your toes. You're constantly, you know, moving on your feet, making these adjustments, uh, calling these audibles because of the weather and all these other variables and this just so happens to be the first time we've had to do it with the schedule it could have easily uh, been something else and and maybe cut down the, the normal 24 races to 22 it just so happened to be 11 and you know that what you know like they say the the cream rises to the top and i think we've seen that we've just seen that in abbreviated year so uh, I'll be bringing my mask. I know we're gonna we're gonna have to be very cautious. Yeah. Um, but I think most racers will tell you and thank the sport and the the management, the the leadership of our sport for salvaging the season. I know there were some, um, you know, some uh, what do they call them? Fire hosers. You know, some guys that said, "Hey, maybe we should just throw the talent." Yeah. No. Uh. Uh-uh. Uh. No. This is. This is a means that people make their living, their livelihoods depend on this sport. It's a few guys that do it for a hobby, more power to them. But this is, never forget, this is a business. And and, and I will say thank you to this sport for for, for moving forward and, and getting creative and constantly being in communication with the track owners and the local governments for allowing us to race. And, you know, I still, I tune into a little football, a little NBA and, and thanks to all those other, and not just the sports venues, but all those other companies that want to get out there and work. We don't want to, we don't want to be mushrooms just sitting, uh, doing nothing and, uh, losing our behinds. So, yeah, that's um, see you in Vegas. Yeah, see man. you in Vegas, Brian. Thanks, Tony. Appreciate it, man.
All right, a great conversation with Tony Pedragon. Now we transition to our second guest here in the NHRA Insider Podcast, the winner of Top Fuel in Houston, but in dramatic fashion, a guy who grabbed his 85th Wally at this race. His name is Tony Schumacher. Tony, how you doing, man? Oh, man, couldn't be any better. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a really good Tuesday, following a really good Monday <laughs> and a really great Sunday. <laughs> no question about it, man. In a long time, uh, patience and uh, you know, we, we suffered through a year off, basically a year and a half, and then get tossed into three different race cars and six races and, you know, uh, just soldier on, man. You know, it was pretty cool. Cool way to do it. You know, like had to get through a couple of epic battles and a, and a bunch of used stuff with a crew we put together just a few weeks ago and, and end up coming out ahead so yeah i mean uh, it, the final was the, <laughs> the coolest part of the final was i mean not just the fact that it was you and steve but to me the coolest part of the final was that car the one you were having to race had not run slower than 369 the whole weekend so it wasn't like there was any mystery as to what you guys had to do both you right. as a driver and, and the team and it's got to be even more satisfying when you can win a race like that knowing what you had to do and then delivering on it well, it is, but but think of it on the other side. There was no reason to drive through the clutch and run a 375. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like me and Mike sat there and looked at each other and went, well, it's either going to go fast or smoke the tires. There's just no reason. <laughs> right. You know, had he gone out there and, you know, smoked the tires and won and ran a 72, a couple of 60s throughout the weekend, you go, I don't know what to do. Let's just get down the track. And, and if he beats us, you know, but when, you know, in a situation like that, he gave us the gift of knowledge. We had to run. Yeah. We had to run a sixty, you know, a mid sixty to beat them. So thank you, you know. Yeah. All in all, we, we've been doing this a long time, and I think the key is we pay attention, we watch, uh, and we we know what we have to do to to win each round. So uh, Mike did an outstanding job. The crew did simply amazing. Gave me a great car. You know, we could keep it uh, put it in the winter circle. So. And it's, you know, again, and to, to take it down to another step, too, it's like the reaction times in the final as well. It's it's you're 50, he's 34. Like, both both lights are incredible, and it, it really made for the perfect ending to that afternoon. It was a, just an amazing deal. You know, how much it's it's been, you know, obviously you're off the 19 season. It's not like it's been 100 years since you spent this much time in the car. But when we look at – on any given weekend, what the average top fuel driver is doing on the starting line, reaction time wise, mm-hmm. it's it's unbelievable, man. It's it is. Has it ever been this tight on the starting line over the course of your career than we see it now? You know, probably not. I just I've been the kind of guy that I, I believe the starting line is incredibly important, um, but I believe there's a lot more, and I believe yeah. that, I believe that you know we've. If, if a driver could explain what we feel is important, you know, we, we don't always want to, because the last thing I want is to be teaching everyone how to beat me. Right. I'm just, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to do that. Right. But, but there's things, you know, watch that run again and watch the straightness of that run. Right. You know, that, we won by two thousandths of a second. If yeah. that car drifts to the left or the right, we lose by a thousand. So there's just, so much to make one of these cars win races. Can someone get one down a racetrack? Yeah, but that's not important. We got to go straight. Thousand foot to thousand foot, and every inch we move to the left or right, it adds to that time. So those races that are close, those epic battles, the monster ones that people show up for, uh, there's just so much more. And and we've been Mike and I noticed throughout the, that qualifying session that the car wasn't going all the way to the finish line. Okay. It was just shutting off at eight hundred or nine hundred plus feet. 
I kept getting out going, something's not, like, I hit the parachutes at 850 feet. My eyes are locked at the finish line because I like to lift at 1,000 feet. But the car's shutting off before that. And we kept, we kept working on electronics to make it go to the end. And I literally asked him yesterday, I said, hey, man, did we get to the finish line? He goes, you know, I didn't look at it. I don't know. I, we kept trying to fix that. But, you know, I kept saying, dude, what happens? Okay, we run a 68. He goes out and runs a 67, takes number one. We didn't get to the finish line, right? And what happens if we have one of these races where it's six ten thousandths of a second yeah. and it doesn't get to the finish line and it goes the wrong way? You know, they're too close, you know, to have issues getting to the stripe we, we're not hurting parts we're doing a good job let's get down to the finish line so they made some changes and i'm guessing it got there we both <laughs> ran 330 miles yeah. an hour but could you imagine if it shut off at 920 feet you know ooh, uh, so close yeah you know, how brutal <laughs> insane so you know one of the things i want to talk to you about as well is as you mentioned the the you know physical driving of the race car maintaining the straightness is the fact that you brought it up when we first started chatting here. Three different race cars, and you know, one of those cars, the one that uh, was Leah's backup for a while, at least to my understanding, is a car that handles very differently than other chassis, meaning what's going on tubing-wise ahead of the footbox is different, so the car wants to react differently going down the racetrack. Can you speak to that at all? Have you had to adjust your physical driving style to the different chassis you've been in over this period of time? Well, the only thing that I had to do a little different with Leah's car, which was what we drove in St. Louis, um, the, the right, basically the steering wheel was closer. She's her her seat insert is further back. She's okay. you know, and so it was just a little jammed up, you know, a little harder to control. I like to drive my arms out a little a little bit further, and it just. Every move I make is more of a wrist move than, than yanking my arms around like a funny car driver would do. Okay. And it's just, but, you know, I'd get out and go, man, I don't feel like I'm going straight. And we'd watch videos and the car was dead straight. So, you know, any movement at all, I, I'm a firm believer that in the way I drive, I steer more times, less amounts, more turns, but less amounts, little tiny movements. And I think, you know, when you let a car drift to the right or either inside or outside, you have to make a bigger turn with 11,000 horsepower and a live rear axle, every turn you make, the more you got to turn the wheel, the more you're shifting weight to one of those tires, which those cars, you know, they demand both tires be on the ground for that much power hitting them. And, you know, I think the success of a team over a long period of time, the success of a driver and the way he drives, the smoother you can control that car, the more both tires are on the ground, the more chance you got to get down more often and you know if i go down the track 80 percent of the time or 90 percent of the time and it's just a few more than everyone else it forces them to know that we're going to get down the racetrack and to make changes to their car to keep up with that and you know force is the same way you watch a guy like that you get on the track all the time and you seem to win you know you win you win you win people start pushing it and they start losing rather than you having to win you know that's our goal. Yeah, it makes sense. And, uh, you know, something I guess I never really considered um, till what you were just talking about is the fact that as much as the, you know, data analysis or the, the data acquisition on the car tells the crew chief, you know, the information that he wants, um, you're ultimately responsible for delivering him good data by keeping the car in the part of the racetrack that's going to get him the good information. And that's, um, I mean, it sounds like a dumb thing to say, but it's an element I never really put into that equation. You know, we always just say, well, they're going to go back and look at the computer and make the changes. But 
Um, if he's looking at the computer and reading data that's coming from the fact that, that you had a tire and a half outside of the groove or whatever, then that doesn't do anybody any good. Well, absolutely right. We used to, and, and years ago, I'd get out of the car and go, I drifted too much. Do not look at the computer because it's going to say it put a cylinder out. It put a cylinder out and moved me out of the groove is what you're going to think. I'm telling you right now, the car was running fine. I moved out of the groove. It started to spin a little or whatever happened. You know, it can spin or drive through the clutch and it put a cylinder out. I was already out of the groove. And, and as a driver, if you can just step up and be honest, the crew can go back, look at what, what uh, the computer says and take your driving in and put it in the equation and say, okay, we don't need to make a change because the car wasn't going to do that if you would have kept it straight. And over years, you know, you just learn to drive straighter for two reasons. You know, people always ask me, how come I'm, I'm good at getting the parachutes out at the end? Well, <laughs> I've been upside down twice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't like it, so I'm going to get that thing stopped. At a thousand and one foot, the race is over. <laughs> I want the shoots out, and I want to be stopping. You know, um, good at, good at that. And and I think that comes from understanding where you are on the racetrack. You know, of course, part of that. Yeah. You know, it's so important. We we when Alan Johnson was with us, and uh, we were in Chicago. We showed up a week early and tested. The right lane had a seven inch groove right in the middle that you just had to drive around to win the race. If you were put in the right lane and you went over that groove, you were going to spin the tires. So it was, it was deep. It was just a something they really couldn't get fixed. So we practiced driving around it and to drive around it. You had to aim towards the, the center line a little bit, let the car get going and then bring it back. But you had to bring it back smooth. And after wow. you do that enough times, and we won the race in the right lane driving around it. Huh. I showed up there, and Corey Mack, both of us, team cars at the time, we both showed up trying to test getting around that thing smoothly. You know, so there are areas on the track sometimes where a driver has to, you know, make it through. Even when you see us do the burnout way inside or way outside, then they move us way, way one way or the other. That doesn't mean Mike wants me to stay to the outside all the way. I have 100 feet to have it back in the middle. Right. You know, and, and during a time – in on the on the course where it is the most difficult to move it back there you know your arms are getting pulled back your legs are getting pulled back and you have to move the car where it goes i it's, it's fun to watch tony stewart out there you know it, it's so cool because he's like these things are beasts yeah and he's driven out he's world champion in so many different things and so good at what he does but he looks at it and goes you know i thought you guys just went straight I go, Man, <laughs> right you know i get it and, and we do most of the time because we make them go straight, but these are cars that do not want to go straight. Um, you know, and it's, it's our job to keep it smooth, calm, cool. When we when we stage a car, you know, some people jerk that, you know, brake handle as hard as that. And that car. What's happening to the, all the fuel up there? It's undulating. It's going back and forth. And now, when I hit the gas, is the fuel in the back or is it in the front? Is it settled? Is it smooth? You know, we're trying to do everything calm and cool. The amount of burnout we do to the exact the amount of clutch we use backing the car up, the heat that we put into that clutch, just doing the same thing over and over again. So there is, you know, uh, for fans out there, let me put it in the best perspective. My championships are dictated by six minutes a year. Yeah. yeah. By my, by the drive, the dedication, the effort of thousands of hours of crew guys, but six minutes of me being in a car under power, six minutes of me doing the exact same thing, or I just don't get to win, you know, because unlike all the, all the sports growing up, we don't all get trophies, <laughs> right. you know, I mean, <laughs> right. go ask Torrance yeah. if he gets last week's trophy, you know, he gets an awful lot of them, 
but I got that one. You know, and it's like there's 15 people that just don't get one, and one guy gets one. So, you know, it, it's it's smoothness, calmness, doing the same thing. And, and believe me, there's a handful of people out there that are very, very good at it. And and we, you know, we we know who they are. We can see it. And you guys know who they are. You're oh, up yeah. there watching yep. over and over and studying critique. It, and, uh, and, I'm interested to hear from you about how satisfying it has been to see the reaction of you winning a race and um, not just personally, but, you know, around the sport. It's it was cool. You know, it's one thing. Obviously, our announcing booth, we had a great view of the crowd and you go down the racetrack, wind light comes on and the place goes nuts. You know, there's a, it was a very good reaction in the facility and then we look at the response that people are giving on social media and and stuff like that and you know i'm sure that this win on a, on a level of appreciation means more to you just because of the space it's been since the last one but um what does it speak to when you see the way that people are reacting to you winning this race i think it's awesome and and i can tell you part of it is okay we won part of it is that steve lost and and it's not that uh, you know that is he's got fans or non-fans sure. it's that we were on a terror and when we were on 15 races in one year we had a lot of haters i had <laughs> right. i had fans of mine hating literally going dude love you man but gosh you know like we don't we're, we just don't need to come out we know what's going to happen and so to to have someone like me and steve make a run like that two thousandths of a second apart it just it, i always said this and, and I was interviewed yes, or for, or Sunday, and they were asking me, and I said, what's your goal? I said, my goal is for the fan that bought a ticket to come back after the race with an extra 10 bucks and say, I owe this because I don't think I paid enough. Right, right. That's, that's what we do. You know, like I go to sports. I go to, I, I'm a hockey fanatic. I love football. I go to sports. And when I go, the best battles, and when I feel like my money was spent properly is when it was a great game. Yeah. When the game was tough. When, when the winner earned it, when when the, the loser was great, too, when the match was fantastic, and that's what we like. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great point. And, and, you know, for us, uh, we end these races with Top Fuel every Sunday. And so, you know, hey, listen, anytime we get a final round, it's always exciting. But it's so rare that we get one that just delivers with the amount of intensity that that one did. And, and obviously setting us up for this, for this Dodge Finals this weekend, it's like a, a perfect momentum deal. And... You know, for you, obviously, you're not a, a championship contender this year, just the way the points worked out. But you get to come in and and perhaps play the role of ultimate spoiler here. I mean, I guess give me a little bit of perspective coming into the finals as a, as a winner, and also not having necessarily that extra level of pressure of knowing unless I if I win the race, I'm a champion. If not, you get to come in there and just try to be a wrecking machine. Yeah, and and I don't even know who I'm trying to wreck it for. Right, <laughs> you know, like right. I like. Right. I, here's what I want to do. Here's what I would like. And and I said it to Doug Collette before the run, before we even started last week. I says I can't help, man. I said I qualified number two. Torrance is number one. I can't even help dictate because what I want is for it to come to the last run. Yeah, and those two guys got to race each other. I mean, that's what I pay for. That's what I want to see. I want to see come down to a championship. One guy steps up a little bit more and he becomes the champ you know and right now i stopped steve a little bit but i don't know he's just got you know there's 168 points i think that you can earn and with points and a half at the, at the last race and yeah. he's a long way out i think he's 100 points out so he's got to make some massive mistakes and doug's gonna have to be flawless and perfect and you know what that's possible it is i've done it yeah and, you have. and i've seen it done so um i hope 
that at the end of the day, I get to watch a great race, and I hope when they hand the trophy to whoever is the champ, that they made it great that day and that they feel like they walked away. Because there are, you know, the run was the greatest run in the history of the sport. But on the flip side, I lost on a whole shot to Bernstein, and Antron won his first championship. And I will guarantee you, as exciting as that was for Antron, it had been better if he was the one that beat me. You know, you want to be part of it. Like, right. It, it, there's there's a great saying that Larry Bird said years ago. He said, in the closing seconds of the game, I always wanted the ball in my hand for the last shot, not anybody else in the world. That's how I've always felt. And I've always, I guess I feel so blessed that I've always been the guy that had to do good to win. I never had to sit back and watch someone lose to be the champ. You know, it was that's not as gratifying. I want to be the guy that has the ball and I have the chance to sit up in the seat and do my job. And and I also want to make sure my team's good enough that if I got the ball in my hands, you know, they've given me a, a you know, maybe an overinflated ball. Right. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like <laughs> yeah. I, I like, I like when my people are great. And, and fortunately for me through all the years, we've had just such amazing teams. And that is a gift from my dad because he's the one that goes out and goes, you know what, if we're going to go down the racetrack and do this, we're going to do it right. And he's, he's given all of us a job and he's given us a chance to be really good at what we do. Yeah, and it's been uh, it's been a very fun thing to watch this year. Certainly, last weekend was uh, was amazing, and as I mentioned before, it's had a, a massive impact on uh, on people just just celebrating. They they're loving the fact that you uh, that you won the race in Houston. So, Tony, thanks for taking some time today, man. I appreciate it. Looking forward to uh, looking forward to seeing you in Vegas and seeing what uh, what you and Mike Green and the boys have up your sleeves for this one. Sounds great. Thank you, man. We'll see you in a couple days. Thanks, Tony. So we talked to the 85-time top fuel winner. Now we transition into the Pro Stock motorcycle category. We're going to catch up with Matt Smith, who has been having a wild couple of weeks, but that points lead keeps growing. Matt, how you doing, man? All right, so we transition off of the top fuel category into Pro Stock Motorcycle. We catch up with the points leader and a guy who is currently slogging his way through a snowstorm on the way to Vegas. Matt Smith, how you doing, Matt? I'm doing good, Brian. How are you doing? Doing really well, man, and uh, for obvious reasons, I wanted to catch up with you because it has been a pretty strange couple of weeks for you, but ultimately a couple of weeks where you've been able to build on your points lead. So talk to me a little bit about that when we get going because it has not exactly gone to plan, and yet you're pulling away from the pack ever so slowly. Yeah, you know, we we had problems at Dallas, uh, battery short out first round, which, you know, you can't take any round for granted, but that's the round we should have you know, one pretty easy yeah. from the number one spot. And uh, then last week at Houston, uh, we had that race one and, you know, in the semifinals against Ryan and uh, the toggle switch broke halfway through high gear and shut the bike off. So uh, it's just one of them freak deals that two things happen back to back. And, uh, you know, if we had those two rounds, uh, I think all we'd have to do is come out here and qualify and that'd be it. But uh, needless to say, we're, uh, we're still two rounds in the lead and uh, hopefully uh, we can, uh, finish this thing out out here yeah i want to talk to you about the houston run because it was wild in the fact that i mean we saw that we saw air underneath the front wheel of that bike at uh, way down the racetrack seven eight hundred nine hundred feet wherever it was you'd know better than i would in terms of its location but uh i know that left lane and i've been watching it since thursday when i got into town or friday morning calling the sportsman stuff there obviously is a bump down there i'd watched a bunch of the funny cars and drags just go over it on friday night and i was wondering what if any effect it would have on the pro stock motorcycles over the weekend and I didn't see anybody else pull a wheelie down there, but talk a little bit about that sensation because it, it cannot be normal. No, you know, I, I missed the run, you know, uh, Q1 in the right lane. So 
um, my Q2 pass was the 72 pass, you know, yep. uh, in the left lane. And I felt the bumps, but I was like, you know what? I said, I just got to stick with the lane that we knew we went down and not not kind of shoot ourselves in the foot. And, yes, that lane was bumpy, but I also saw on, on my, you know, team bikes that uh, the right lane was bumpy too. So okay. I just – I stuck over there and, and uh, you know, we just – we just hit on hit them bumps every round, and man, if you put your gas if you put your chin on the gas tank over there in the left lane, it would literally beat your your chin up, you know, like you were getting punched. And uh, I just had to ride it like a horse down there and just kind of jockey the bike and keep my head just a little bit off the gas tank and uh and just run the thing. And, and I could feel the front tire coming up and just tooting it out through there. And it was fun ride, but you know, I just it really sucked when the uh, toggle switch broke because. Uh, uh, we had a good run going there. We were probably going to seventy five by by the eighth mile numbers. Yeah, you had him covered by a long. You had him covered by a long distance, and I was uh, I was probably the second most surprised guy in the house uh, behind you when <laughs> when I saw when I saw Ryan's wind light come on because I'm thinking, man, this is he's got him going away, and all of a sudden the, you had the problem, and, and Ayler was able to get around you. Um, let's talk a little bit about the you know basically. Uh, how long have you been away from your shop? Because I feel as though once we went to Dallas, it's not like you drove all the way back to the Carolinas, right? Your stuff's been your stuff's been away for a while. Yeah, we've been away from the shop since Dallas. Uh, you know, we come into Dallas with everything fresh and ready to go, and you know, uh, all the motors are in good good health. And we went through Angie's motor uh, before this race just to check it out because uh, it had a misshift and it went to the high side limiter, and then. We stayed over yesterday at Dallas, and we tore my motor part after what happened, and just just checking everything out. We changed everything on the bike, put all brand new stuff on it. Same thing with the motor. Everything we took, tore apart. We basically, if it, if we could change it, put brand new stuff in it. We put it in there. So we're going to Vegas with all brand new stuff on everything, and and hopefully we can get six runs out of it, and uh, you know, do the best we can and win. Hopefully, win the race and win the championship. Yeah, I mean it's uh, it's been a wild season in pro stock motorcycle, and really continuing even race to race. You know, we've seen traditional winners uh, the last couple of races, but even you know Jerry Savoy, guy that has had no luck this year, comes comes basically out of obscurity for the season and wins in Dallas. Eddie was always a, kind of a matter of time, at least in my mind, for Eddie Craywick to be to be back in the winner's circle. Um, but we continue to see guys like, you know, Dave Barron jumps in around too. There's just all these things that have been happening. And I guess my question to you is when you roll up there for whatever round we're going to be in in Vegas, what is the most important thing for you in terms of minimizing mistakes? Is it minimizing mistakes mechanically? Is it minimizing mistakes mentally? You're like when you're going up there to compete this weekend in Vegas, what is the most single important thing that's going to be on your mind? Well, the biggest thing is I can't, like I just said, we've, we've changed everything that we can to put all new stuff on. So being prepared for this Vegas race, we've done everything we can by putting all new parts, all new pieces, you know, everything that we can do at this time. You know, mentally, I'm just going up there running my race. I don't care who's in the other lane or what round it is. You just got to go up there and run the track. And I feel like we have the bike to beat. And if the bike fails me, then I'm vulnerable. If it doesn't fail me, I think we're going to be pretty tough to beat out here. And, uh, you know, all in all, I mean, we just we just got to go two rounds. We got to have four rounds of racing and turn wind lights on, and I think we'll be good. When you ran that 
I mean, was the bike set up to go 72? Was that the was that the performance window you were looking? Were you looking to hit it that hard, or was that one of these happy surprises that seems to come up in the sport every now and again? I really thought we'd go 75, you know, maybe 74. But I knew, you know, after what I saw Ryan run 80 and, and what I saw out there for first round, I'm like, man, if we just went down the track, we'd have went 75, 74 there first round. And uh, I really thought we could do that if we just left the start line. And, yeah, I was surprised that it went 72 for sure. But, uh, you know, the biggest thing is every round we've won this year in eliminations, we've done it because of performance and all that. We've had no lucky rounds. We've had bad luck rounds for yes. sure this year. Yes. And the biggest thing is you always need a lucky round every now and then. We just need no bad luck rounds, you know, <laughs> at Vegas. Yeah. And we'll be fine. Man, I'll tell you one of the uh, one of the neatest stories coming out of Dallas, of course, was uh, Angie making the two hundred mile an hour club. It was, um, you know, in a lot of ways, kind of a kind of an amazing weekend for you guys. You know, not not so much in the elimination rounds on Sunday, but uh, talk a little bit about that. I mean, you know, we've watched Angie. She's Angie, rather. She's a great rider, great performer, and that meant the world to her to be the fifth member of the Denzo two hundred mile an hour club. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one thing. You know, ever since we went in it, I think, you know, when I went in in 2018 at, at Pomona, it's just something that she's wanted to do because, one, of our, our sponsors sponsored that that whole club. And, two, I mean, we knew we had motors to do it and bikes to do it. It's just putting everything together. I mean, it, it's just not one thing that does it. I mean, you've got to have a, the bike set up right. you got to have the rider set up right. you got to have the motor set up right. So, and, and then you got to have the track and the conditions are kept got to be just right to be able to do that and uh luckily she got it done at dallas and we can put that behind her the biggest thing for her deal is her bike is the oldest bike in our camp oh wow and uh you know her chassis and uh you know that's why it's so inconsistent we've just one runner to go out there and go 105 106 next run at 110 111 and and there's no reason that it's doing what it's doing so uh we're uh, we're building her a new chassis for next year and uh hopefully we'll you know, we've got three fast motorcycles now. We just don't have first consistent like mine and Scotty's. And uh, hopefully next year we'll have three bikes that are all fast and consistent next year. No, that's really cool. And if I could switch gears a little bit uh, to the work that you've been unable to do because you've been away from home, but the work you're going to be throwing yourself into full bore once the season's over, uh, working on the dyno, making horsepower, which I know is one of the you know great passions that, that you have in the sport and one of the things you love to do the most. If you could talk in general terms to you know a lot of a people that listen to the show kind of get engines, get motors and stuff like that, when you're finding horsepower in these engines, is it – in the cylinder heads is it isn't is it in camshafts i mean when you are spending your time on the dyno in general terms where is most of that time getting spent on the valve train in the cylinder heads piston design where is it at and brian to be honest we're, we're trying everything I mean, yeah when, when you have to have parts made you know we have cp gorilla uh doing our pistons and rods um Exodon's doing our valves i mean people that are doing stuff like that we're, we're constantly ordering new stuff and trying new stuff all the time you know i order one set of this and one set of that and we do this stuff no different crankshafts we've, we've had some new crankshafts made during this year we're trying so much stuff that sometimes you we just dedicate one motor to do that okay and and we get to working on it and sometimes the stuff doesn't work and we just kind of throw it away you know it's, that's what r&d is you know it's just research and development and then sometimes we'll find something, oh, man, this looks promising. And we'll go to the track and run it, 
and it shows up that it's really, really good. Then you got to go through the process and order five, six, seven more sets of everything so we can make all the motors like that. And it just takes a long time to get stuff like that done. And the winter time is the time to do that. But the biggest thing, this COVID deal, it let me get the dyno up and going, our engine dyno. And we had a bunch of parts and pieces that we had made over the winter that we just, we didn't get tried like we needed to. Gotcha. Um, for whatever reason, just stuff didn't get done till February or first of March when it finally come in. And I think that's the biggest thing that's helped us this year is, you know, we got to work on this stuff during this pandemic, during the first two months of no racing, you know, May and April. And we come out strong right off the bat. And uh, we've been there ever since. You know, when you look at, um, you know, looking at your own team, obviously, and what you're learning on the dyno, do you have, you know, a long-term plan in terms of being able to supply more engines to more people? Is it always something you want to keep underneath your MSR umbrella, or are you somebody that eventually would like to have a situation where you're able to, you know, lease engines out to other people that want to run Matt Smith Power? You know, I, I don't know. I mean, I, I really never thought about just leasing motors. Um, you know, when we when we lease something, we just we do the whole rental program yes. ourselves. Yep. We you know because there's so much stuff that if you look at the top fuel funny car world, you have a crew chief that bounces around from John Force to Don Schumacher to Cruz Petragon to the Colettas. Yep. You know when that happens, everything that that organization has taught that guy or he learned, yeah. he takes to some somebody else. Right. And, yep. And it's and it's just not tuning knowledge. It's camshaft design is piston design is supercharged design so that's kind of why i am where i'm at i want to tune all my own stuff i tune all my own bikes we do all our own motors in house and i just give rental stuff to people that if you want to rent a whole bike you just fly and fly out that's what scotty does yep and i take care of everything and it's successful and i don't have to worry about nobody else getting that stuff yeah, no, it makes sense. It was just it was interesting to me because obviously you're, you know this is the 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 engine dynos opened up a whole new realm of you being able to do a lot of your own experimentation and it's almost like a little bit of a mini trend in the class. I mean, it, you adding your dyno, uh, Ryan Ayler and his dad have added one to their you know their program as well. And I, me personally, I think it's great because and this is nothing. Obviously, the Vance and Hines guys do incredible work, and I'm not saying anything negative towards them and what they do with the Suzuki program and the Harley program. But um, I do feel like the more pro stock motorcycle racers that are doing some of their own R and D as much of it as they can, I feel like it really does help strengthen the class and kind of spread some of the love around. Yeah, a- absolutely, and you know the. The one big factor, I mean, if you look at all the people that work on their own stuff, basically, you know, they're all beach wind guys. Yeah. Um, You know, you've got the Ronas that do their own stuff. Ryan's doing his own stuff. You know, we do our own stuff. And and Vance Hines does their own stuff. Every Suzuki team, they just buy the motors basically from from Vance and Hines. And I think that's why the inline fours are so far behind because – not one of those teams are taking advantage of the rules that are currently out there for them, especially with the new four valve motor, you know, and all that. And that's the only thing that I would want to do with my with my deal is if I had somebody that had the money that had a Suzuki program that they'd sign a contract with me to where I would do their own motor program and do their own stuff. That's what I, that was. That's where I would want to show our talent of where we could make a Suzuki. 
outrun the rest of those Suzukis out there. No, that's cool. That uh, that makes sense. Maybe somebody listening will be that person. <laughs> you never know. Uh, let's talk a little bit before I let you go. Let's talk a little bit about the racetrack at Vegas versus the racetrack at Houston. We're coming off of obviously we have some more elevation there. Um, you know, air is going to be a little bit uh, probably less ideal for making horsepower. But in terms of tuning and riding, um, how well? And I know you know the place pretty well, but how well do you know it? And how much and major are the adjustments going from Houston to Vegas? Because that typically isn't where we go. Yeah, normally we go Dallas uh, to Vegas. And, you know, they're, they're pretty close to the same, you know, just what we're doing for Houston. You know, Dallas and Houston are pretty pretty close to the same conditions. Um, but, you know, I've always been successful at Vegas. I've uh, won there twice. I've uh, been in the finals there three or four or five times. And, you know, we won there last year going into the final race of the year at Pomona. So I'm very confident going into Vegas. And, uh, you know, I know we have the power. I know we have the bike to beat. And I think the rest of the competition knows that. And, and you know, we got the target on our back, you know. And I'm just – I'm not going in this thing being down on what just happened at Dallas, what happened at Houston. I'm going in there with the, the mentality of we're going to win the race, we're going to claim this fourth championship, and we're going to just do everything we can to do that. Sounds good to me, man. That's the way I'd be looking at it. Glad to hear you're looking at it that way as well. Listen, man, drive safe and uh, put the snow chains on if you need them. <laughs> and I will see you uh, We'll see you in the desert in a couple days, man. Good luck and safe travels. Okay, thanks, Brian. Good talking to you. Thanks, Matt. So Matt Smith, a man who certainly has uh, the creative, or I should say the competitive genes of his dad and someone who has applied those in his own way to be an incredible success in the sport of drag racing, the Denso Sparkplugs motorcycle. He talks about Mark Soxeth, of course, Greg Butcher Trucking, the, the companies that help him get his operation to the racetrack and ultimately make it as successful as it can be. Pretty neat. Three different perspectives about three different things in the world of NHRA Camping World Championship drag racing from Tony Petragon and I kind of doing an overview of all the different championship scenarios across our categories to Tony Schumacher talking to us about a landmark victory for him, his 85th of his career. Just unbelievable stuff. And then we move into Greg rather talking to Matt Smith and getting his perspective on being a points leader coming into the last race of the year. Make sure you check your local listings for our coverage on FS1, which will be all on Sunday during this weekend's broadcast. You'll have a qualifying show and our live elimination show, as well as a post-game show. We are going to have a post-game show this Sunday when the champions are crowned, and we'll have some additional content in there talking to our champions. It will not be a traditional end-of-the-year ceremony like we have in Pomona, where we have our get in a tuxedo and have our adult prom out there in Hollywood, California. This will be different. It will be held at the racetrack. And like everything else in 2020, we are shucking and jiving to make it work. Thanks, everybody, for listening to the NHRA Insider Podcast. Thank you to my guests, Tony Pedragon, Tony Schumacher, and Matt Smith. And once again, make sure you tune in this weekend to find out how the season wraps up. This is by far not the last episode of The Insider. We'll be making this show all the way through the upcoming offseason, along with loads of other video and audio content for you from the NHRA and around the sport of drag racing. Enjoy your weekend. Please tune into FS1, and if you live in the Las Vegas area, come on out and be part of one of the most unique crowds you will ever be part of. It's going to be small, it's going to be intimate, and it's going to be a thing that very few people will ever be able to claim they're actually at, and that is the 2020 Dodge NHRA Finals. If you can be there, I'd recommend pulling it off. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you next time.